Um, so today is the 1st of September. I know. How did oh, that happen? Oh my goodness. And I'm in Delamere with Ellen. Is that right? Yes. Perfect. Um, and it's day 19 of the trip. Are you happy to say how old you are? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm 43. Um, although... Um, I'm a bit of a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan, uh, and so the number 42 was always like, 42 is going to be like the year I was going to do amazing things and a big adventure, and it was all going to be great and fantastic. And of course, a third of my year of being 42 has been a little bit scuppered. <laughs> so I've actually declared this is 42 the second, and I'm going to skip straight to 43 next year. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so 42 on a technicality. 42 on a technicality, and we'll just skip to 43. I like the sound of that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Why not? Hello, and welcome to season two of the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast. My name's Frankie, and this is the podcast where I cycle around the UK, interviewing folk about their adventurous lives. This season was recorded back in September 2020, as I cycle towards Liverpool and onwards north on my way to Scotland. This is episode one, where I meet Ellen in Delamere Forest. We picked a quiet bench at the back of a closed cafe by a usually empty road. As you're about to hear, that didn't quite work out. There are kids playing, people chatting, roadworks, traffic lights, an off-road maintenance vehicle, a chainsaw helicopter airplane, there's wind in the trees, and all the birds singing. It doesn't make for great audio quality, but at least it'll be easy to imagine you're right there with us. I've managed to cut out the worst of the noise, that sometimes you might be able to hear when something's been cut out. But I hope, as always, this won't deter from Ellen's amazing stories. So, to start with, for people that don't know you at all, can you give me a bit of a snapshot of who you are? Bit of a snapshot. So, my name is Ellen Piercy, and we are in Delamere, which is where I'm based at the moment, uh, in Cheshire. I always thought I was, I'd sort of missed the boat on doing more adventurous things and being sort of super outdoorsy. I, I thought that was, I probably should have been doing that in my 20s and then, you know, that was going to be how, how you do that sort of thing. And I wasn't, I didn't really know anybody who was doing adventuring or being super outdoorsy. So I followed a career path. Um, I was sort of very much destined to set myself on sort of the heady heights of, of, of corporate life was sort of where I thought I was going to go. And through a series of sort of nudges of things, I've kind of realised actually that's a load of old twaddle. Nobody's too old to do these sorts of things. You can start whenever you want to. And I've started to try and do... Yeah, try and live a bit of a double life. So I still have my my career, which I uh, when it when it's grinding me down, I sort of say, well, it's just the adventure funding, you know. Um, but I'm also trying to squeeze a bit more adventure into my life as as it is at the moment, whilst having a, a mortgage. I don't have kids, uh, I'm married, but um, yeah. So we've got 
things that we have to look after, so I need an income from something, um, but try and squeeze in adventure where I can and, and whatever that may be. Awesome. Yeah. Can you tell me about some of those adventures? Yeah, so I also, so I'm on a social media, I'm all Ellen Rando Girl. Uh, Rando Girls came about from walking with some friends in um, in the Peak District, and they're French, so it's actually Randonnée. And it sort of morphed over over time, and, and I couldn't tell you when the first sort of spark really happened even looking back I can't really see what was the thing that that sort of kicked it off um but there are a couple of notable points and one was I'd started walking with friends just in the in the peak district learning to navigate by getting lost mostly um I had started climbing and I went to um the women's climbing symposium and came across the mountain training association and um found out that without realizing it, I was actually wa- working towards my hill and moorland leader qualification with the walks that I was doing so that sort of ended up being a sort of a, a Okay, yeah, maybe I'll just I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but but let's keep going and and that's something I started actually working towards and turning my walks into now being qualifying days and went on the training. Um, I ended up January last year passing my assessment for it. Um, Congratulations! Thank you. And it was one of those things that I. Like I said, I didn't quite, I, I sort of had vague ideas of what I might do with it or not, but it, it was more just for my own confidence sake, you know, I can do this and I can do things outside of work too. So maybe, maybe this sort of double life kind of thing. Um, and alongside that, I'd also sort of done a bit of a 40 by 40 bucket list thing, but it never really materialised into much. But one of the things I decided to, to do was I wanted to do the Camino de Santiago with some friends or with some family. And then it sort of didn't, that didn't quite happen. And I was, it was actually the film The Way. I'd watched it again. That was the original inspiration to, 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 to do it. I think like a lot of people. And there's a scene in it where the guy... Um, Says, what do you mean? You can do this by bike? And it's suddenly, ah, hang on a minute. If I can't take six weeks, two months off work to walk this, can I cycle part of it? And in the end, it sort of whittled down in adventure from big thing to smaller thing of, of two weeks. So we cycled from Leon to uh, Santiago. Myself and my husband never done anything like that before. And that was sort of one of the things that really was a kind of a, I've never done anything like that before. That's pretty cool. Came back bit post-adventure bluesy as you always are with these things and my husband had given me a felt penguin penguin of adventures yet to come um, and it was in my bag when I went to Yesterville 2017 oh. Yesterville's a really dangerous place because because if you weren't planning an adventure when you go you come back having planned one and I was in the in the drinks queue which is a very dangerous place and a very dangerous place for these sorts of things and there was a guy I'd met the previous year and we got chatting, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's your next plan? I said, I don't really know. I don't know what I want to do. And he said, well, it's obviously got to be a cold adventure or the penguin can't go. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> so that suddenly was like, oh, hang on a minute. Because of course you come back and think, what am I going to do next? It's like, it was a whole planet of things that I could do. 
Um, and a cold adventure seemed to fit because the one bit that I didn't enjoy in northern Spain was the heat. So maybe cold's the way to go. Through talking to some really nice people, so I asked, asked some people around on the, the Tough Girl Tribe for some ideas, some inspiration. Applied to the Fjallraven uh, dog sled race competition thing they do. Um, one of the hints on, on that is if you ever want to get people to vote for you on these things, LinkedIn is brilliant. It's amazing how many of your ex-colleagues want to send you to, to frozen expanses of wasteland for two weeks. I don't know what that says about me, but that sort of surprised me. There's something to do. Um, I'd never even thought about that. And, and I'd, I'd knew that to do a cold adventure is either really north, south or, or high up. South is just too expensive. There's no way I would be able to, to, to afford to do that. So that sort of left high up and north. And that's where I started thinking, oh, maybe it's go go north. Spoke to Adelaide Goodeve. You know, she's, she's done quite a few sort of uh, amazing things. And she'd been to Svalbard. Da, 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 roll on forward. I ended up being booked onto an expedition to Svalbard. Ten days, skiing, pulling a polk dropped off on one side of the, the main island and you, and you ski back, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Went on a training exercise in January, absolutely bursting with excitement, feeling fit, feeling strong, really trained, three weeks before, cancelled, COVID. No. Oh, so that's a culmination, that's where of, you are now. culmination of three years. And, and I'd been training physically in between time as well. I'd had a real sort of stressful time. 2017 20 wasn't a good year for me. Um, and been suffering a lot from, from stress. So 2018 was all about just trying to get my head back together, really sort of thinking, yeah, we can do this. And yeah, yeah, COVID cancelled. So <laughs> I have transferred my booking to next year. I'm keeping everything crossed. I really desperately want it to go ahead. Um, so yeah, that's what I. That was my big thing. That was a, that was the whole in forty. I'm forty two. It's twenty twenty. I do a massive expedition, the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. This was going to be amazing, absolutely great. And then it was everything I was talking about was pre and post Svalbard. So when I get back from Svalbard, you know, am I going to be? massively changed person am I going to think well that was great never doing anything like that again <laughs> so maybe I'm not a person who likes the cold I don't know so that's all everything's postponed so. but it does look like it's postponed and still going ahead and not cancelled completely it's, is it, it is still it's, it's in the diary um yeah so we've just got to work out how to how to do it and fill my time with other things in the meantime so I mean, I've got so many questions <laughs> for you, but I kind of want to jump back from yeah. right back to yep. the start. And you said that you thought you were past it. Yes. And then all of a sudden you started doing these adventures. How did you go from thinking you were past it to... It was, it was, and this is where what you're doing is really great. It's because I suddenly started seeing other women doing it. You know, and if you absolutely, if you don't see it, you don't know you can be it. And that's really, really important. And I just didn't know that these these women were, were out there. Okay, may, maybe there was one or two sort of, there were few and far between that you thought they were this, this odd one-off person. 
or they've been doing it since they were, you know, children. This was their, you know, the culmination of, of, of a, a life they'd done. I just didn't know anybody who'd done anything like it. And I think, like as I said, these sort of series of sparks that you don't realise were sparks until you sort of start to look back and it's impossible to say when, when that started. But one was reading a book on Julie Tullis who she uh, was a mountaineer um, and it wasn't until later in life she actually climbed very serious big mountains, uh, you know, K2. You know, seeing groups like Tough Girl Challenges and, and Sarah Williams's podcast you know that was a huge that that was probably one of the one of the kicks that 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 got me going meeting friends through the climbing club who were doing you know mountain leaders it's like what what, eh? I didn't realize you know but you're not you know you're not in your early 20s what do you mean you're doing this and it's these sort of little 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 things that build up that say well actual fact you know you aren't you're never too old to, to start these these things. And I think if you probably asked me, do you think do you think people are too old to do it? I'd have said, no, of course not. But but I would never have done anything about it myself because I think as much as I said that, probably is that deeper said, of course other women aren't, but you are, kind of thing in the back of the head kind of thing. And yet that's what I think it was just these little little moments of enlightenment that you start to think, maybe I can do something. And that's where cycling the Camino which ended up which was originally going to be I'm going to walk the whole thing to well I'll cycle it to I'll cycle (laughs) two weeks worth of it slowly Um, and that was cool that's okay that's allowed (laughs) I love that because instead of just saying well I can't do it now so I'm not going to do it or I'll do it in the future yeah you said well what can I do now yes exactly you know and I think that that's it and that's also what I'm doing at the, the moment is one of the things I've just started is it, I'm call, calling it the Cheshire Challenge, which was a response to lockdown and not being able to go to North Wales and not really feeling, certainly a couple of months ago, that it was appropriate to even go to the Peak District. I'd done a little bit of volunteer work for the Slowways Project, which is a project to map um, basically connect up all the towns and cities via footpaths uh, in a, in a oh, place where it then becomes searchable. In the same way you can plot a bike route or, or a car journey, you can't do that at the moment for walking. If I want to walk from here to the next village, I've got to sit with the map and plot out the route myself. The plan is that you'll be able to connect towns and, and cities and larger villages. So I volunteered a bit for that, which was drawing out routes on maps and then I've had a bit look locally and see, well, what is there? Within Cheshire, there are 25 named paths and they total 1,500 kilometres. Wow. And I've set myself a challenge to walk all of them because every single one of them is really within, a bit of it is within 20 miles of, of home. So that makes it lockdown proof. That makes it, actually, it's, if I want to go out and do endurance training for, for Svalbard, well, I don't need to go drive an hour and a half into North Wales to then walk up a mountain and then drive an hour and a half back. I can actually walk from my front door on some of these trails. And okay, it's not it's not a mountain. I desperately miss the mountains and 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 I and I want to get get back in there and I and I will do. But now I've got something else that that's I have a spreadsheet and everything um, to, to tick it all off. And that's that's the sort of response. So, again, it's that that sort of, okay, so I can't do Svalbard this year, but what can I do instead 
that I mean, the idea of walking 1,500 kilometres is quite frankly terrifying. And particularly when you, when you finally type, add yeah, some all on your Excel sheet and that, num- Excel sheet and that number comes up in the box, like, whoo, <laughs> that's quite a lot. <laughs> and it's, yeah, so it's that sort of, and who knows, I might not finish it. I might do all of it. I might decide that some of it, to walk it all, is ridiculous. I'll cycle part of it because it's on towpaths, a lot of it. Um, who, who knows? But the point is it's it's there and it's just something else to, you know... That's awesome. How far along are you at the moment? Have I you started? Uh, I have started. I've done about 135 kilometres so far. So it's about 9%. About 9% of that. They're only about 91% to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Loads of it. Yeah, but it's 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 interesting because as well, it, I think I'd probably also become a bit of a snob because if it wasn't like the wilds of the Peak District or the Welsh Mountains or the Scottish Highlands or, or, or a particular of Northumbria or somewhere equally sort of grr wild, it's like... It's not really, you know, it's not really worth bothering kind of thing. But actually, there's a lot of really nice places around here that might not be the rugged, remote countryside that I I love. But as a place to go for a walk of a weekend, it's lovely. Definitely. And, you know, I had this conversation yesterday where sometimes it's almost harder to get out from your home than it is to go on holiday and do something. I think that's that's absolutely true. And on the, 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 the sort of the one occasion or, or where, where, where we've lived somewhere that might be a really, ni- really nice place that if you went to go and visit, you go out and do all these amazing touristy things and you go out and you really explore it. But because you live there, you kind of think, well, I can always... So we sat here in Delamere Forest and this is literally on my doorstep, literally on my doorstep. And it wasn't until lockdown that I'd actually go out for a walk of an evening. I'd, I can very occasionally I'd do it and always have this, well, maybe I should go for a walk of an evening when I get back from work. And it wasn't until that sort of, well, hang on a minute, of course, you, you walk up the hill and you can see Wales from the, from the top of the hill and wave at Wales. That actually now, most evenings, I will now go for a walk just around the forest and I've got a couple of loops I do and it's nice to see the seasons change. So, yeah, it, it is. You're absolutely right. It's hard. But once you've discovered that and made that step, I think it's then, uh, it's hard to then stop exploring yeah, locally. Definitely. And I want to talk a little bit about your hill walking and the qualification mm. you did. Yeah. Um, what sort of things did you need to do? You talked a little bit about quality mountain days. Is that right? Yeah, quality hill days. Quality hill days. Quality hill days. Um, so there's three sort of, leader qualifications that you don't need to have done any previous qualifications for and that's lowland leader hill and moorland leader and mountain leader and i think a lot of people i can get it's funny a lot of people go straight to i want to be mountain leader which i think is fantastic if you're able to get to the mountains uh and and that's really what you're going to use hill and moorland is exactly is exactly that it is places that are 
are not sort of very rocky and very steep. It's places like the Peak District, it's places like Dartmoor, it's places like the Cluid Mountains in, in North Wales, Northumbria, and, you know, a lot of the Pennines, places like, like that. And to gain the qualification, you need to have done 20 qualifying walks, which are about, about five hours, so it's not a just pop out with a dog for, you know, for half an hour. It needs to be some a variety of places, variety of weather so you haven't just gone out on a you know oh but two weeks I'll go and do lots of walks in one area in the middle of the summer it's the, there's a bit of variety you need to, to do in that then you do a three-day training exercise and that really is the sort of the it's not something to really worry about because it's it's with assessors who can then show you the bits that you you need to brush up your skills on. So you'll do things like a bit of night navigation. It's the first time I'd done night navigation is when I did the, did the training. You will do, there's no overnight expedition element to the Hill of Moorland uh, qualification. Um, night navigation for that is about getting off the hill. You'll be looking at things like what's the flora and fauna? understanding as well as your, your navigation, your micro-navigation. So that's about finding really small details on, on maps and, and geekly I really like that. The qualification is to, is to help other people enjoy the outdoors. So making sure as a leader you know what you're doing, you understand the kit, you understand your terrain, you're able to, to lead people both by following the right route but also give them a good experience of being outside so you know about the landscape that you're in maybe a bit about the geology so the plants and, and any wildlife that you might see and just be able to really share that experience and then once you've done your training you've got to do another what's called consolidation period which is another 20 walks five hours each again bit of variety of location so you've gone into different different areas just in case there are um just so you've got some familiarity you know you're, you're familiar with lots of different places and then you do a three-day assessment which is pretty much just walking around in, in an area navigating 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 with your assessor asking you questions but if you've done your total 40 qualifying days if you've done your training and you've listened to your feedback you'll be absolutely fine for, for an assessment. And, and that's what it is. And I can't remember how much it costs off the top of my head. I did write a blog about it. That I put the costs of, of how much it actually cost me to, to do it because that's quite important. And it sort of sits alongside the other qualifications, which is the mountain leader and the lowland leader. So lowland leader is, is, is yeah, it's sort of this sort of train in, in the forest. It's walking um, and fields and, and areas areas like that and then mountain leader is yeah is is taking people up into into higher higher ground and i think there's a little bit of people tend sometimes i get a little bit frustrated where i see um organizing we want mountain leaders because we're going out into the peak district I said, well, actually you don't you want a hill and moorland leader because although a mountain leader may well be here, actually they don't know that terrain as well. And there's an argument that some of the navigation on some of the moors is much harder than navigation on a mountain because the pointy bits of the mountain, whereas on, on the moorlands, they're, it's a very facetious way of putting it, but the moorlands flat. So you've got to, you're, looking, you're looking for different things. 
Um, but also a lot more women are Lowland and Hill and Moreland leaders. Um, I don't know why it's, um, and you'd need to talk to the Mountain Training Association to get their, their latest numbers, but, but it's interesting that the split is that actually proportionately more women are on, on the Lowland and the Hill and Moreland leader qualification than they are in the Mountain leader. But it depends on what you need the qualification to, to do. I. In hindsight, I might have done the mountain leader because, in actual fact, I then, having signed up to do Hill and Moreland, joined my local mountaineering club and spent a lot more time in North Wales going up and down mountains. <laughs> um, so maybe I maybe I should have I, I should have gone straight to the mountain leader. And you've spoken a little bit about the fact that you were training for the trip that you had yes. planned coming up. What sort of training would you do for that? So well, you get dropped <laughs> in and have to ski back. Is that yeah, the yeah? So your so your um, everything is on a polk, so a sled that you're pulling, um, and you're on skis, and it's uh, it's Nordic free heel skiing. So it's big Arctic boots type tactic and quite specialized ski because you're pulling a weight um, behind you and you've obviously got to be able to control that going down slope so none of this nice carving in the snow it's all about snow plowing and, and holding your sled to the side of you uh, which I was rubbish at in uh, uh, on the training exercise and until the very last bit of the very last day I finally sussed it so the training I would I would do is basically it's just getting miles under your feet and being used to being out and working hard lots of hill walking carrying a, a reasonably heavy backpack just again just to get used to being a bit weight bearing although you're pulling a sled and it's sort of on your hips and and the bulk of the weight is you know your, your sled is is much more heavily weighted than, than heavily laden than a backpack would ever be partly because again it's winter weight stuff so, you know, that's not like your sleeping bag is enormous and incredibly heavy. And that would take up an entire backpack on its own kind of thing. But it was also things like tyre dragging. So I have a tyre and would go around the forest dragging the tyre behind me just to get used to pulling something and feeling that weight on, on your hips. And it's, it's impossible to train exactly for it. But what I did do is I went on a, a week-long training trip which you need to you need to do you need to have done something before Svalbard is so remote you need to know a bit about what you're doing before you go so this was up uh Hardangavida plateau we were, we were based at a lodge for a couple of days went out learned how to ski learned how to use the polk then set out for a mini four-day expedition with the tent so you learn how to cook in the tent because you can't it'll be too cold to sit outside so you've got to you know how, how do you manage that from a fire point of view and how do you set up the tent and how you build your wind breaks and what do you do with all your kit and how you deal with making sure you don't get cold and all of that sort of stuff you know a lot of it is about making sure that when you stop you you know how to get comfortable really quickly and look after yourself this year, that sounds like amazing. an incredible adventure it was brilliant on oh, i just you know it's one of those ones where it's one of the things where I'm so glad I did that. I, I mean, I had to do it, but I'm so glad that I did because I think if I hadn't done that and Svalbard had been cancelled, there might have been part of my head that says, well, it was never meant to be, but it was kind of like, I need to go and do that again because that was brilliant. 
And as much as some of it was definitely type two fun, <laughs> particularly when I just could not control the blooming sled pulp going down a hill. I couldn't, just couldn't work out what I was doing wrong. But even then, even then, at the most frustrated, angry with myself moment, it was just such a brilliant brilliant place to, to be and we, at a moment when you sort of unzipped your tent in the morning and it was just like oh look at where I am this is amazing and then you furiously start melting snow in, in your in your pan for, for for your water and things it was yeah I, I'm so glad I did that training it was so much fun and it's definitely as I said means I do want to keep doing this thing so amazing and you mentioned that you've still been able to have a career alongside yes. all your adventures. What do you do? Um, so I am, I trained as an industrial design engineer. And at the moment, I am, I, I look after building robots is, is what I do. So we have a number of scientists doing science in laboratories and we build automation um, or work with partners who build alt- automation to help the scientists in their in their job in the in the lab so facetiously I call myself a robot wrangler because sometimes it sometimes uh, sometimes that's what it feels like dealing with these uh, <laughs> naughty, naughty children that won't do what you want them to do yeah so I, it's really it's a really exciting field to to be in and I've sort of ended up there slightly you know I think if you'd asked me what I what would I be doing in my job now? That's probably isn't something I would have I would have come up with. I've always been able to you know if an opportunity you know be ready for an opportunity if it if it comes up, and my my career path is sort of quite you know it's it's been a bit sort of lots of different things, but all ultimately there's a, this one sort of thread running running through it. At the moment, I'm I'm mid career. Do I want to climb the corporate ladder further? I, I need to think about that a bit because actual fact, what's more important to me at the moment is the free time. You mentioned that if um, if someone had asked you what you mm. would be doing for work, you wouldn't say this. <laughs> it sounds like you haven't always had sort of like a clear path and a clear idea of what you're doing. Is that um, I, I have and I haven't. I think it's good to have an idea of a, de- of a final destination. Something that you can set your internal compass to, set your bearing to. But how you get there, I think, will, will, will change. And I think as well, there was also that perception of what success looked like. And, and you know, as I've gone through you know, school and A-levels and first job and growing in a job and what, you know, what, is, what is success? And I think my perception of success has changed and I never really was that massively materialistic anyway, but I think there was a bit of a you know, successful means you've got fancy car and you've got this and you've got that sort of stuff, or it's what your salary is, or, you know, and I think I've sort of realised that that's not, that's not true, but I've always sort of known there were certain things I, I wanted to do. So, so when I graduated, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of people, I graduated in, in 1999, and... A lot of people from um, my skill set went and did a lot of sort of web design. It was the time of the dot-com bubble bursting. Um, and I'd actually decided I wanted to learn some project management skills, but I didn't want to do an MBA. I couldn't afford it, and I didn't want to go back to, to university again. So I went and ran a building site for a year. 
and that is a lesson in growing up just dealing with all sorts of crap quite literally a um, lot of pigeon poo a lot of pigeon poo uh, surveying old buildings and dealing with not as much sexism as I thought I was going to, to have to deal with but there was instances and I worked with some really great guys who would basically stand behind me and go listen to what she says or I'll come and have to do it you know it, it sort of back me up and I think I've always been really lucky lucky is probably the wrong word but but I've always worked around people that have supported me and I've, I've had very few really bad experiences because I'm a woman in a slightly more men's world, perhaps. And I think that's probably the harshest critic as it has always been myself on, on these. I think there's a perception that, that sort of probably came from school that to do 100%, I had to do 110%. You know, and I think that's that's something that's really hard to get out your knock out your system. Probably still haven't managed to do that even now. But yeah, so I, I sort of ended up. Uh, I worked there. I then worked at a graphics production house, doing lots of museum installations and um, sort of more on the sort of technical side of things. Worked for Dyson. Um, ended up working for. Uh, up in East Yorkshire for Beckett Benkiza and you know and, and all these sort of who, who make homeware products and, 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 and things like that. I think if you'd told me upon graduating or even as, 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 a, as a sixth form student you'll be working on uh, d doing robotics I'd have gone brilliant that'd be really cool but I probably kind of didn't think that was something I would you know it's so far off my own off my radar but it's seeing the opportunities that are there and sometimes those opportunities don't even really exist. So, you know, there was there was one job where actually when I first went to, to chat to who was eventually going to be my boss, um, the job didn't really exist. It wasn't really, they, they weren't even sure what they wanted, but somebody said, look, I know this person, she'll probably have a chat with you. Um, I thought, figured out, interview practice you know it's nothing wrong, you know, absolutely day out and then many 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 months later that turned into actually would you like to come in for a formal interview just from seeing what seeing what's out there so yeah and and maybe that's a bit with the sort of some of the adventure side of what I've been doing is not not having an absolutely dead set this is what I'm going to do totally unchangeable is this sort of bumping around and if there are opportunities that work I've ended up where where I am um, and who knows where that's going to take me from here. <laughs> it could be absolutely anywhere. Um, but I quite like that. I quite like that sort of blank piece of paper. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And how do you think your journey to get here has shaped who you are now? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, so they start to get tough now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting question because I... I think your 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 experiences shape you massively, even if you don't realise they do. And as I'm older now and I look back, <laughs> I can sort of see where some of those things they, those things happen. So what you know what gave me the the fight and I think I said that, that I'd not really experienced much sexism in my career, which I hadn't, and at university I didn't, although I was very, we were like 10 to one ratio at, at university for the for the course, 
my school, what do they call it, work placement, like the fifth year or whatever it was. It was like a third year at school, so 13-ish kind of thing. I applied to work at the local aerodrome. Wow. Because I decided I was going to be an engineer. It's definitely going to be an engineer, which which came from my from dad. Uh, um, um, and stuff that my dad was doing and, and sort of going into where he worked a little bit and seeing some of the stuff he was working on and being interested in that sort of thing. I was much more of a Technic Lego kind of a girl than a Barbie kind of a girl. Yeah, so I got the letter through from the aerodrome saying it was lovely, great to have me there and that I'd be working in the cafe in the office. And I can remember sitting on the bottom step of my parents' house up uh, the stairs, absolutely I'm bawling my eyes out absolutely bored could couldn't believe and that was that was the first time i think i probably directly my mum my mum's awesome uh, immediately got got on the phone to them and put them right about it within about 30 seconds and it wasn't a problem and i was wearing overalls and working on the planes for two weeks <laughs> but yeah but that was that was that's probably the what that's probably the biggest time there was a couple of times on the building sites but again that was very much a kind of a I knew I was right and there was nothing wrong with and it was as much my age as well as a 20 you know 20 something straight out of university what the hell does she know kind of kind of thing but that was more I was less what they'd said and more it was the fact that the 50-year-old bloke who's always worked on building sites and, and was a bit sort of big and burly basically told them where to shove uh, their comment and that it was, you know, that I was I was in charge of this this particular aspect of the site and like it or lump it or they'd have to deal with him kind of thing. So I've always had that support behind me. I've always had that. And that is a really fortunate position to be in because I can I can see how... God, you know, my own self-confidence and self-belief can be so appallingly low at times. If I didn't have people who were behind me going, don't be ridiculous, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. I can imagine I probably, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gotten as, as far as I have or doing the things I'm doing because I didn't have people stood behind me of both sexes or, or, or walks of life and things actually say, no, 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 she, she knows what she's doing. She'll, you know, keep going kind of thing. And again, from the sort of, the adventuring side, I think, as I said before, it was it was just not seeing people who could do it. And I think from my career point of view, maybe I saw more women doing engineering and because I knew that was a thing. And I think from sort of going out and being more adventurous, I didn't know that was a thing. And that's really sort of come since, really, probably since mid late 30s really when I even contemplated that maybe I could do things a bit more adventurous and that was something that, that somebody like me could could go and do and that I didn't have to give everything up to go and do it either yeah does that answer your question I kind yeah, of absolutely <laughs> um what's one thing that you know about yourself now that you wish you'd known earlier oh that's that's a hard question. I think it's that I'm much more resilient than I actually believe and still probably believe that, 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 that I am. I think 
I've never massively put myself in a position where I've really got to go into almost not survival mode as being really melodramatic. But yeah, I think that would have been useful to know because I think I would probably have pushed harder. I think I'd have I'd have I'd have had the confidence to go and do something different. Yeah, and maybe maybe have climbed bigger mountains by now. Um, because I knew actually I, will, I, I can do it. So yeah, that's probably it. More resilient than I think I am. And I asked this next question because, you know, I work freelance and often I live in my mm. van and I do all these adventures. And sometimes I feel a little bit like I might be going against the grain slightly. And I just wondered, do you ever feel the same, like you're going against the grain? Um, yeah, I, well, yes. Although the more people I meet, like yourself, um, like friends with the Mountaineer and Club, like the, the S Tribe people, the Tough Girl people, you start to, there isn't a grain. There isn't a grain. Not if you don't want there to, 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 to be one. Um, and yes, it's also an extremely small world because you do keep bumping into the same people who, you know, whilst chatting to my uh, woman who, um, so when I was a polar training, um, so, so, you know, it, 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 yeah, so polar training, I'm sat in the airport waiting for the bus to pick up, getting chatting to all sorts of we sort of did that sort of eyeball thing. I think we're on the same, are we doing the same? Yeah, we are doing the same course. She's also in the Tough Girl tribe. Yeah, okay, of course you are, of course you are. Um, and my assessor knew. The, the woman who owns the expedition company that I'm going to Svalbard with, my Helen Morland leaders. So so I walk into the room and says, oh, Helen says hi. Oh, <laughs> it is, so it's a really, really, really small, so, so I think in some ways, maybe that's a slightly facetious thing to say there is no grain because you find the group that you move into. But I think if you find you are going against the grain and it's hard and people don't like it, it's just a matter of looking for a different tribe because there are people out there and I think you just say okay fine so find another tribe who actual fact no it's fine you're completely normal what you're trying to do you know unicycle around the world yeah fine that's groovy you know it's sort of <laughs> I love that that is so good yeah um I've been asking everybody about authenticity mm -hmm. and it's something that each year I get older almost I look back and I think I feel so much truer to myself yes. now than I was then. Um, what does authenticity or your authentic self, what does it mean? What do you think it means? Authenticity is that feeling in your gut when you do something and it feels right for you. Or actually, if you're truthful, doesn't sit with you. And like I said, for me, that sort of getting up the corporate ladder and reaching the upper echelons and being on the board or something like that. I never quite got to that point of thinking that's something I wanted to be, but certainly that sort of, so, so, I'm, so, I'm, so I want to become a manager. Right now I'm a manager, so I want to become a you know, senior management, and then I want to become director, and then da, da, da. And you can sort of see this ladder up that you, you want to go. But it, it just didn't sit with me, that that's actually, and almost that decision that when I sat down with my line manager at the time and I said, I don't, actually, I'm not sure. And when I was looking at actual fact, oh, do you know what, that just doesn't, that just doesn't 
feel right and it really is it's a it's a it's a gut feeling happiness is really important but happiness is a high state what you actually want to search for is contentment you know is that is that neutral middle that isn't sad isn't happy but is absolutely sort of your your resting state if you like and an authenticity is is part of that it's doing what you know you're doing the right thing and accepting that maybe something that you you want isn't actually you i think that's that's also that's also part of it you you you, you might have a well, i think this is what i want to be and, and what i should do or go on this adventure and it's like do you really do you really really want to and it can be very hard to backtrack on that and say actually do you know what it's not me it's not what i want to do and i think the older you get the easier it starts to become confident in that decision that you make that no this isn't this isn't what I want this isn't really me um, I'm not going to do that certainly when I was younger I almost felt like once I said I was going to do that I was absolutely that's it you've got to be committed to this and you, you, you're stuck now girl this is it you've made your decision it's like it's not life's not really like that and I think that's fundamentally where authenticity sits it's that 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 content neutral state and what do you think bravery is? Bravery is um, as much about saying no to something as it is about saying yes to something. You know, whatever that whatever that may be. And I think it is it is obviously pushing you out of your comfort zone. And there are degrees of bravery. I think there's sort of the bravery said that that sort of pushed upon you. You know, you're made redundant. It's not. There's nothing you could do about it. So, so maybe that's where you have to behave different. You have to change how you are, or maybe that for a brief while you have to be less authentic to your authentic self because you have no choice. You know, you you need to go and and, and um, change it. Your circumstances have changed outside your control. So there's that sort of bravery, and then there's the the other sort of other side of it, which is doing something very different as personally challenging a sort of a it's like a positive and a negative bravery almost if you like if that that's really interesting and I think there's so many people that that's gonna resonate mm. with would you describe yourself as brave um uh, and that's a big dep it depends type question I think as you get older it's that the classic sort of you know grannies that just don't just don't care you know because they've they've had so many life circumstances that actually fact you know what i've got something to refer back to that's fine i can deal with this it's not a problem so i think as you get older you can get braver because you've just got more experiences to pull well it, it won't possibly be bad as that time 10 years ago when i you know <laughs> so, so, so i think i think you get braver the older you get you know would i if i look back 10 10 years would I have been, if I'd known it existed, would I have been brave enough to sign up for something like Svalbard? No, because I don't, I don't, I don't do that sort of thing. I can't do that sort of thing. Whereas this was, I still knew I don't do that sort of thing and I can't do that sort of thing and I still signed up for it. So I think you get brave, I think you get braver because you've got more, you've got more to lose because you've usually built up you have things around you, you have responsibilities, you know, so sometimes that, that can be hard, but you've also got more experiences that you can pull upon. 
I'm going to tell you a really funny story. I don't normally talk about myself in the interviews because it's like such a waste of time yeah. for me. But today I was at a crossroads and it was kind of like a busy-ish road and then a really quiet road. And I kind of, there was a hedge and I like pulled my bike kind of to the side and I was like, if anybody goes past in one direction, they're not going to see me because of this hedge. Benny Cody comes past in another direction and I squat down behind my bike to have a wee. <laughs> They're not going to notice because I just look like I'm squatting by my bike. <laughs> the only way someone will notice is if they drive up or down this quiet road. <laughs> so I squat down to have my wee and what happens that a man in a Jeep pulls up, <laughs> has to wait because the road's busy sees me and I'm like I'll just fiddle with my panniers <laughs> right I think if I was just I think if he hadn't been turning in he might have thought that I was pull, checking my panniers and then part of me was like do I stop having a wee <laughs> if, you're mid, I, if you're mid flow you can't was, exactly and so then he just pulled round the corner and I was like I'm just not going to look at him and I'm still going to fiddle with my panniers out of courtesy but he can clearly see that I'm having a wee and he started chuckling to himself and as he drove up I was like no mind I'm just going to stand up and pull my pants up now and I was like do you know what if at the end of the day he's gone home with a story and a smile like you got a wee you got a wee (laughs) it's fine absolutely fine it's normal yeah you know every, everybody's got a bum you know? <laughs> um, you spoke a little bit about happiness and contentment mm. but what do you think happiness feels like to, to for, for me happiness is a is 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 a is a joyful state. Happiness is... This is where I think I like to define the difference between happiness and contentment. Happiness is, is that moment when you, you're you out on a, on a walk and you've been slogging uphill and you stop and you turn around and it's just, oh, this view is just... That you weren't, that you weren't expecting to, to, to be there because the clouds have cleared as you've been walking head down. It's a passing state. It's not something that actually it's that you know. How can you ever have the the high if you're if you're permanently on that that high? You know, and I think that's sort of um, it's important to have that the peak and the trough because then the high of that moment of happiness is is a is a is a more pleasurable experience because it's oh wow, have you seen that? Isn't that amazing? Often for me, it's it's a shared experience. So it's 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 being with somebody else and you know that little moment of celebration of you know yay we did it kind of thing yeah it's a uh, it's finally getting to the bottom of the slope with the polk and then realizing you haven't ended up on your bottom again you know it's sort of do a little dance kind of moments but yeah so for me it's a, it's a happiness is a is is an extreme and yeah it's a shared place often to make the most of it and i'm gonna sort of change topics almost completely but do you see yourself represented in outdoors media so things like films or books no not at all there are a few gems there have been a few gems 
but I think there is still this sort of young, slim, pretty woman in, in, in the outdoors. And, and yes, there are lots of young, slim, pretty women in the outdoors, and that's absolutely fine. But there's an awful lot of women who are, who are, you know, stockier built like me. Um, you know, I'm not fat, but I'm certainly not svelte. But that's because I can pull a tie around a forest, you know, sort of. Um, I, I don't think that there is not that cross representation of, of, of different, and I won't call them real women because that's not fair on the slim, young, pretty women who are also equally real. <laughs> um, but, but I do think, yeah, there isn't a. There's a lot of now. Now, whether some of this is because I think maybe women are—I don't know—are are women worse at self-promotion? I think sometimes. So, it's a, me personally, I kind of feel like the whole website needs to be like written and perfect and polished before I can publish the darn thing. Rather, just get something out there. You know, I can certainly. With it, with me personally, I can be very kind of. It's not polished. You're not sending out. It's back to that. You've got to be 110 percent to be 100 percent thing, and that's probably where that comes from. Um, but I think um, I think people like Sarah Williams and what she's doing with the Tough Girl podcast are rare, still rare instances. You know, I mean, I'm not for one minute discrediting any of the the, the adventures that that, that that guys do because I know they've put in sweat and tears and, and, and hard work to do it. But, you know, there's, there's loads of examples of women who've done... You know, I think probably the greatest thing was when uh, Jasmine Paris absolutely just blasted the spine race and I think that was something that that sort of you know piqued some interest but there wasn't um there, there isn't the same there just isn't the same level you know I mean how many women now have have seen what Jasmine Paris did and thought blooming heck I didn't even know trail running was a thing that's why it's so important to see women who are, who reflect the broader population of, of, of women, because we don't know who who's out there who could do amazing things. And this this whole thought of you know women and are women better at endurance events? Well, maybe they're not. Maybe they are, but we don't know because there just aren't enough young you know and and again it does come up to be the top of the cream of the crop of what you're doing you do have to start when when you're when you're younger really really to be the because as much of anything else it's about time it's about training and getting the expertise and upskilling yourself and your body developing over many many years to do something that doesn't mean that you can't start in your 40s you know you have to look at Rosie Swell Pope you know she's just Rosie's just God, I want to be Rosie. I just, I could, I'd, I'd love to be, Rosie's just incredible. But she's, you know, years and years and years and years has got to the point where she can just decide, I'm going to, just going to do a jog. You know, <laughs> okay, fine, I'll, you know, it's just, 
because she just can can do it because she's she's built herself to a position where she knows that her body can do that sort of thing. So that's as much of it why catching catching people young is is just because it's that time to, to get people to, to do it. And if you don't know that that's something that you could even do, you know. And I think as well things like the you know the why the the, the black girls hike group, they're brilliant because you know. Again, same thing. If you've never seen somebody who's a bit like you doing something, you don't. It doesn't even. It's not even that you. You don't think you can do it. You don't even know it exists, as a thing. You know, if you've if you've never heard of swimming the channel, how do you know that that's even something a human could 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 do, let alone yourself? So you have to have this more representation. I don't just think it's exclusively for for, for women. You know, there's there's, you know, it's. I think probably the the men start to see it a bit as as well. They don't see, you know, this sort of honed kind of view of what a particular athletic person is, and that that's not necessarily the case. Um, it's so true. And my last question is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? I think it would be. Um, you are much tougher than you think you are. Um, go climb the mountain. I wish, I wish, if, I think if I say I have something to regret, I wish I had realised I could and gotten back in, into the mountains much, much younger. I think that's something that I, yes, you can get anything, these things older, but but my, my I don't do tick lists, but, you know, think of the mountains that I could have been climbing over the past 10 years kind of thing. 20 years. That's definitely it, yeah. I love that, absolutely. I'm going to stop recording there, but thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, that's been fascinating. That's been really fascinating. I loved talking to Ellen and left the interview to spend the night in a campsite. With all the luxuries of being able to put my tent up in daylight and hot water top-ups in my drink bottles to use as hot water bottles throughout the night. Delightful. I spent the next morning riding through Delamere Forest before the rainstorm hit. I pedalled on through the rain and reached the house of my next guest looking like I'd just cycled through a lake. Find out all about it next week. The episode will be out on Monday. If you're enjoying the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast, please share the love. You can do this by sending it on to a friend. You can join us over on Instagram, where I have a live every Friday with a different fab guest. Find us at Extraordinary Ordinary Women. And you can also give us a like on Facebook. If you're on Apple, please leave a review. And if you're not on Apple, then send one to me. My DMs are always open. I love hearing from you and passing it on to my guests. And of course, you can help us cover the costs of the podcast over on Patreon. Find out more at extraordinaryordinarywomen.co forward slash support. With so much thanks to everyone who is supporting us so far. Until next time, keep on being extraordinary. Extraordinary.